Merlot, and blending. Two words that turn wine snobs off. Find out why they're wrong on this episode of The Honest Pour. Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. Do you still turn your nose up at Merlot because a character in that movie threw a fit about not drinking any freaking Merlot? But Merlot is the main variety in some of the world's most sought-after wines, particularly the great wines of Pomerol. Now, Merlot itself isn't without fault. You see, in the early 90s, Merlot was the big fad wine, much like Malbec is today. Because of this fad, a lot of really bad Merlot is being sold. But those days are over. Today, there are many fine Merlots to be had. Another trend some wine snobs love to cling to is wines of hyper-specific origin. Wine must express terroir, they cry. If you listen to them, they almost suggest that blending wines is a bad thing. But think about it. The big champagne houses use blending extensively. Different grapes, different regions, heck, even different vintages on occasion. I met with Marisa Taylor, winemaker at Rutherford Hill in Napa Valley, and we sat down to talk about her Merlot, and I even got to take a shot at blending my own wine. This episode of The Honest Pour is being recorded at City Winery, 1200 West Randolph in Chicago. Rutherford Hill Winery was founded in 1972 and has been a pioneer of high-quality Merlot in Napa Valley. Joining me today is General Manager and Head Winemaker at Rutherford Hill, Marisa Taylor. Welcome. Thank you for having me. You grew up in wine country. How'd you get interested in the wine business? Um, actually, funny story. I was actually at Davis, and I thought I would go into uh, another profession. I had actually lined up an internship for the summer, and um, just knew in my heart it wasn't what I wanted to do. I'm a science numbers gal, but I also love creativity. And I called my parents after much angst. My dad answered the phone. We started talking, and here I'm so stressed about, Dad, I don't want to do this. And he's like, that's okay. Why don't you just get into the wine business? Be a winemaker. You're from wine country. And I was like, wait a minute, what? So just spurred this whole conversation. He's like, you know what? Let's go see my friend. He's a winemaker, and you can go talk to him. And that just opened the door. The minute that I walked in to talk to him, it was the aroma of the winery. Just It felt like coming home. And then I realized, I looked at my dad, and he's just smiling ear to ear. I grew up going wine tasting when my grandmothers would come to town. And ever since I was like two years old, I have a photo by my desk at the winery of me in the vineyards with my grandmother. So it just, it just felt natural and just like it was meant to be. So then you were, at, you were at UC Davis studying something other than wine, which doesn't Well, seem... chemistry. Okay. Chemistry okay. goes right along into sure, wine, sure. so it worked out. And then when you graduated, what happened there? How did you get your first job? What was it? Where did you work? Well, funny, after I had that interview, met with a winemaker, I came back to Davis, and I ended up staying at Davis for the summer and got an internship in the in the Department of Viticulture and Enology. So that was my first exposure to uh, harvest and working with grad students on the projects and then I was doing media prep and it's just kind of like one thing led to another and then I got to December and Ernie who I was working for at the time is like you should talk to Dr. Bolton Roger Bolton about applying for grad school I met with Roger he's like yeah he's like you have all the prereqs this would be perfect for you he's like oh you just need GREs but don't worry that's this weekend you can just take it this weekend <laughs> like I didn't need to study or something but doors kept opening and I kept walking through and got into grad school and I just continued the education of wine and started working then I worked in a commercial winery and kind of just 
just continued. What was the first winery you worked in? My first commercial winery was, it was Piper Sonoma at the time, up in Healdsburg. It was the last year that it was Piper Sonoma, and then the following year it was Jay Wine. And they asked me to come back, so I actually went back the second vintage and went to Jay Wine because I knew where the vineyards were, and they wanted, they liked that continuity, so I went back. So, so kind of near home there, huh? Yeah, I'm in, yeah, I'm, my family's still in Sonoma County, and uh, I live, reside in Sonoma County, so it just made sense. And it was Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Bubbles. Yeah. Yes, that was my first exposure. That's, yes. the, that's an aggressive first exposure, yeah? <laughs> well, who, who doesn't love bubbles? <laughs> and you spent some time in Italy, too, right? I did. I spent a vintage um, in Italy almost six months total um, outside of uh, Florence in Chianti Rufina, a little place called Coloniale. And, um, yeah, worked, worked, lived on the property, worked at the winery for a family, and it was really great exposure. So you started your career uh, working with... Burgundian varieties, uh, making bubbles, a little time in Italy. How did the shift to Merlot happen? Well, I came back from Italy. I was actually trying to go to Australia. I was trying to live, I wanted to live abroad away from home for a year. That was my goal. It didn't happen. Um, Visas and all that, trying to get that from Italy. In retrospect, it would have been better had I come home, but whatever. I ended up coming home anyways in February. You know, was home earlier than expected and um, started interviewing and landed a job in Pinot again in William Salyum. I was there for four years. Good place to work. Good place. And then uh, four years later, my friend Elizabeth Viana, who's the winemaker at Chimney Rock, we, went to, we met in grad school. And uh, she called me and said, there's an opening at Rutherford Hill. I really think you're the right person for this job. You, you got it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to go to Napa. I was like... Right, it's I, the other I, side I of the hill. Home. They do that thing. Yeah, they do that thing. And, uh, and just growing up in Sonoma County, I was like, yeah. And she's like, just, you know what, just come and just... Just talk to them. So came over, talked to Doug. You know, just it kind of fell into place. And when I talked to him on the phone, he said, he's lining up a date to go. It was the end of July. I said, you know, I have to be honest, be upfront with you. I have my sisters do any day, and I'm on call for when she goes into labor. I'm, I got my nephew. And he's like, no worries. If something comes up, just call me. And sure enough, my sister went to labor 4 a.m. in the morning. I was supposed to go for my first interview with Doug Fletcher. <laughs> I left him a message at 4 in the morning saying, I have to reschedule. <laughs> so um, anyways, I met with Doug, and it just, it just felt right. And I thought, you know, I'll come try it out. You know, even if it's for a harvest or... You know, just a diverse, you know, as a young winemaker, diversifying your resume was pretty appealing and it was a larger scale and it would just give me, you know, more challenges. So for me, I really, it's important to continue to keep educating myself and to have challenges and meet new people and work with them. So I said yes. And um, I've been there now, it'll be 12 years in August. So 12 years. Yeah. Wow. Americans still suffer from this uh, sideways effect. Yes. Do you find that people are getting over <laughs> this idea? I think yes and no. I mean, funny is that you bring up that movie is that that was kind of right around the time that I made the transition from Pinot to Merlot. So I thought that was pretty comical. Oh, look for a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> you went the, <laughs> the other way. way. Yeah. You know, I think I think consumers don't they don't. They're not always familiar. Maybe it's about being educated. Um, I think that more consumers love Merlot. They just don't. They don't know it, or they don't. They haven't been educated about. You know, now with the red blends and things. You know, there's a lot of Merlot and red blends. You, you see the consumers um, being reintroduced into Merlot. So, or the, and the younger consumers coming up. You know, they don't have. They're not worried about Sideways or that silly movie that. You know, caused all this wreak havoc on the low. So, the fact of the matter is that it really wasn't sideways that caused the problem because, you know, kind of early mid '90s, mm-hmm. there was a lot of 
Merlot was easy to grow, yep. it was easy to say, it was yep. easy to sell, it made these big giant grapes, right? Yep. So there was a lot of kind of crummy Merlot out there yeah. being made, so it well, sort of brought that upon it itself. Yeah? When I think it was just, it, it was overpowered the market too, so when people get on board. I mean, you're seeing that right now with other varietals, I think. Pinot you Noir. Pinot Noir, yeah. I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. No, Pinot it really Noir. is. I mean, I love Pinot Noir to yeah. death, but yeah. there's a lot of crummy Pinot Noir being made yeah. out there right now. It's, it's being made everywhere. It shouldn't be made everywhere. Right. Maybe not. But, you know, I think what it does is it helps, um, you know, wineries kind of refocus. And, you know, you I think the quality of Merlot now is much higher than it was. And not to say that the Merlots weren't high quality back then, but I think, you know, wineries had to regroup. Some Merlots were tried and true and continued to carry on, but you do refocus a little bit. So, I don't know. I think more people drink Merlot. More Merlots planted than Pinot, by far. I think it just depends, too, where you're, where you're from, where you grow up. and. What do you love about Merlot? I love the lushness about Merlot. I love the fruit aspect that it can be, just velvety. I love the the versatility that Merlot can, as we'll see with our what we're getting ready to do. Merlot can just have different characteristics. You know, it can be it can be big, broad, hefty like Cab. You know, but it can also be more delicate and soft and, uh, and sexy. I feel like it's sexy. It's voluptuous. Voluptuous, and yeah. it goes with a lot of things. It usually is a pretty good crowd pleaser if people don't know what they want. You know, so yeah, that juicy fruity yeah. thing comes through. Obviously, you weren't there from be- from the beginning, but what's behind? Rutherford Hill's commitment to Merlot. You know, it's sort of been there from the beginning, yeah? yeah? What is it about Merlot that Rutherford Hill picked up on and ran with? Well, I think the history of the winery, I mean, it was built in 1972. Um, the Jaeger family, um, with some growers, purchased the winery in the early 70s, and they owned it for a little over 20 years. And they really, they were inspired by Pomerol and Merlot and thought, you know what, we can grow just as good Merlot, What's right? Not to Why be inspired not to be by inspired? So, you know, that kind of led the path with Rutherford Hill the, the relationship between Rutherford Hill and Merlot. And that's what folks grew to love about Rutherford Hill was the Merlot. They knew Merlot. They would think about Rutherford Hill. Uh, the Trilados purchased the winery. It'll be 20 years, actually, this August that the Trilados purchased the winery in 96. They, it was really important. You know, quality is a way of life. Um, they really they stuck by it when they purchased the winery. When they purchased the winery, we, Rutherford Hill, they were making 100,000 cases of just Merlot alone. And to this today, 20 years later, we're making 25,000 cases. And that's kind of what we're holding to. you cut production by 75%. Yes. And so what they did is when they purchased the winery, they purchased a brand, they purchased a building, they inherited contracts, they inherited inventory. What they did is they went through and said, okay, what do we, how can we make this better? What do we need to do? They worked with the growers. They sat down and talked. You know, we still have some of the same growers. Um, but they also, in the meantime, started purchasing land and developing their own vineyard. So just kind of it transformed. It's, you know, it takes, it takes a long time to transform that. Yeah. So um, now, today, we're about 50, I like to say we're 50% estate grown and 50% still working with top growers in the, in the valley. So really, the commitment was there. I mean, they really, they sold off wine that didn't make the program and just started, as people say, started to change the direction of the ship a little bit. Sure. So. So uh, I think that's pretty impressive. And they built a reserve room. They added more ferment- fermenters, all for the love of Merlot and to keep it to keep it alive, so to speak. So Is most of the fruit coming from Rutherford? We do have two vineyards in Rutherford, but no, we also have um, vineyards outside of the, of the Appalachian. So we do make some Rutherford-focused Appalachian wines at the winery, but overall our broad market wines are all Napa Valley. There's still a lot of, like the Cab, there's a lot of um, Mer- Merlot and 
lot of cab from Rutherford, but overall we're Napa Valley. I like to say that we're, you know, north to south, hillside to valley floor, nice representation of what Napa Valley has to offer. So really what you're, what you're making yes. is you're making th- what your representation of Napa Valley Merlot is. Tell me about that. What is, what is your idea of, of, of Merlot from Napa Valley? Well, we're going to taste it shortly, but uh, my idea for me is, again, kind of getting back to that voluptuousness, that um, full-bodied um, fruit. It's fruity. It's not super earthy. You may have um, some notes of that sometimes here and there. Um, maybe there sometimes occasionally can be dried dried herbs, but for the most part, it's usually very fruit-forward. Balanced, for me, is really important that the wine is balanced. It's not overpowering, like, there's not a ton of tannin or unripe tannin, or the barrels don't, you know, they're not in your face. Since to today, balance is like a weird word, yeah. obviously, yeah. Uh, when it comes to wine. For me, balance is might be tough and Merlot, because for me, a lot of Napa wines get out of balance on that big in-your-face fruit mm-hmm. kind of thing, and Merlot kind of wants to do oh, that. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how do you control that? We have a lot of different components that go into the Merlot, so you can control that with some of the fruit perhaps will be on skins longer. You know, you get different fruit characteristics by that. The tannins, they'll change on the on the skins. Other, other components you may press off early. The varietals that we use, you know, so we blend in Syrah, we have Malbec, we have Petit Verdot, Cap Franc, Cab. We do put a little bit of Cab in there. Um, but kind of, it just gives you each season different things to kind of tone it down a little bit. I still think it's it would be more fruit forward, but it's not. Oh, it's just a fruit bomb, and there's nothing else there. Okay. There's layers. So it seems that today, people, at least wine consumers, uh, wine consumers on the geekier and people yeah. who might be listening to wine podcasts, <laughs> are really interested in like very site specific, single vineyard specific areas and what the terroir brings to that wine from there. But it seems like what you're doing is a little opposite of that more like you're managing the blend so you know if if the fruit is a little too forward you're bringing in a little something different to manage that what would you say to that person to convince them that hey look it's not all about single vineyard single plot it's about skill and art of the winemaker at some level well i think you just kind of answered it i mean i think the way i look at it is that there's different um there's different levels there's different styles to make um you know, for, for certain projects, this is the approach for these wines. You know, not to say that we wouldn't hone in and make vineyard designate wine. It just it, it's on a smaller scale for what we're doing, for what's broad marketed. So, and also just because there's not as much fruit from maybe those specific vineyards, and then you have to share the love <laughs> love across. I don't know what I'd say. I mean, for me as a winemaker, I'm always out to want to taste something new, taste somebody else's small thing, small little winery from wine from a certain appellation. I think that's their market, that's their niche, that's the style. But for us as a brand on the market, that's not that's not who we are. How how is your your perception of Merlot changed coming over to the other side of the hill? <laughs> I love Merlot now. <laughs> I was very much a Burgundy, you know, Pinot and, you know, Chardonnay. I mean, even in college, I loved that. Um, Merlot, I, I have to say, I didn't give it as much much of time of day. And so a funny story is uh, my first harvest there, you know, going around tasting tanks. Even the vinification's different. The winemaker at the time yelled at me. He saw me tasting the tanks. He's all, it ain't Merlot, it ain't Pinot, as I was tasting, you know, tasting, you know, these big wines, you know, on... So it definitely was an adjustment, but yeah, I love Merlot. I fell in love with Merlot at Rutherford Hill, and um, you know, I'm really proud to be a part of it. 
That's great. So we're going to do two things here. Okay. We always taste in my podcast. Okay, perfect. So let's let's taste. Okay. So what do we have here? So this is this is going to be an up and coming. This is kind of a pre release taste tonight. This is our 2013 Merlot Napa Valley. Um, it is 79 percent. Would you like to know what's in it, or do you want to? Sure, taste sure. Seventy nine percent Merlot. Um, 15% Cab, at 3% Malbec, and 3% Syrah. doesn't have that huge, beefy, intense, deep Bordelais color that you get sometimes. It's, it's pretty. Oh, wow. Yeah, nice perfume and fruit, but a good backbone of earth. and. It's really young still. It's. Yeah, it is. Okay. I think the 13s... After I was on the mar- in the market today with the twelves, and um, you know the thirteens are. We were, I was talking about this one of the one of the fellows I ran into, and you know the thirteens are. They've got a lot of um, heft. You know, there's a lot of like tannin mm-hmm. and fruit, and it's just kind of like, look at me, showy. You know, but and so it's going to be really interesting to see how how long they kind of come down a little. Like yeah, the tannin, really, the tannin's tannin, really yeah. up there. I mean. It's got the velvety kind of body right. to stand up to it, right. but the tannins are there in the front of your teeth. You mm-hmm. little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we also brought. We do a second um, Merlot base, Merlot wine, is, and this is our barrel select. So the idea behind it was to offer, you know, on premise, wanted another skew besides you know, Merlot. On premise being restaurants, restaurants and bars. Yes, and- exactly. And so this was our answer to it. It changes every year, um, but it's a Merlot based blend. Um, and just kind of showcase the, the Merlot in a little bit of a different style. A little more intense color on this one, huh? Yeah, the blend's a little bit different. And um, funny, this year this year it ended up being, uh, it too is, is a Merlot. It's um, over 80%. It's actually more Merlot. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> yeah. But that's just the way the blend worked out. Um, but it, the blenders in it are Malbec and Petit Verdot. Mm. So it's a different, you can see the, the, the flavor profile is different. That Malbec comes through a little bit. Yeah. That- that kind of red cherry, mm-hmm. uh, fresh berries. Yeah. But still young. Still young. And tannin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's it, yeah. They are. And when will these They're be showy. released? They're going to be being released, I think, within, like, the summer. Okay, so yeah. coming right up. Coming right up, yeah. So you'll be able to find this soon. Yeah. All right, so... Great but I think taste. coming off of the 12s, which people are used to in the market that are a little bit softer, but they're nice. Are they're the like 12s softer because they got a year extra in bottle, or is it just the vintage? I think it's both. I think it's both, to be honest. But I just think just even making them, these are... I mean, I'm really excited about 13, so don't get me wrong, but it's just, you know, stylistically, they're just a little bit more loud. <laughs> they're more in your face, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, all right, okay. tell me what we're going to do. Okay. So what, what, what I brought here today is we have an experience at the winery, uh, Blendro Merlot. And a couple years ago, we were talking about what can we do, what can we do on the road, um, and thought, well, why not just package it up and take it on the road? So we have brought to you our Blendro Merlot experience, modified, and what we have here are four different samples. Three of them are Merlots from three different vineyards, so you'll be able to taste the different vineyards, kind of what each vineyard brings. Um, and then we also brought you one varietal today to blend with, not, not all for but um, the Cabernet Sauvignon to blend with so and they're all from they happen to all be from our estate vineyard so I was I was at a blending seminar once many years ago more than years than I'd like to admit and I made some undrinkable sludge (laughs) (laughs) it was it was it was a they were all beautiful wines and what I did to them was well, have, that is a, not going to happen. A sin against right? God and man. <laughs> what a so I hope I don't do that to your wines no, today. No, you're not going to. All right, so let's uh, take me through it. Okay. So this is um, the first sample you have here is our Pope Valley um, Merlot. So oh, Pope Valley's kind of up, up the northeast. other side of Hollow yep. Mountain. Exactly. Um, and that's one of our estate vineyards. We have Merlot planted there and Cabernet Franc. 
the vineyard is kind of, it's got a little bit of rolling hills. Um, it's about 500 to 800 um, feet above uh, elevation above sea level, depending where you are in the vineyard. Um, and these, the Merlot out there tends to be really small buried. And I think because of it's the rocky, the soil, kind of where it's... Where and Merlot it's tends below. to really generally be, wants to be well, a big large, berry, but so these are, they're, they're like the smallest every year, no matter what. They're small. And um, I feel like there's always... Well, I'll let you taste it. But for me, out of Pope Valley, I really like the volume that it brings to the... The finesse that it brings in the, the mouth, texture? the texture, yeah, the, uh, in the mouth, and um, a lot of cherry, mocha kind of aromas that it brings to the blend. And then, actually, um, with this vineyard, um, two years ago, 2014, we did. A, um, I challenged my staff to a to be the winemaker themselves. So we were bringing in fruit from this same vineyard you're tasting, and um, I said, you know, hey, we're doing it today. And they're like, what? And I'm like, just stay tuned. So I went and I assigned everybody, and they each were in charge of basically the equivalent of a barrel of wine. For them, they were in groups. That, there were six groups, and they they got to decide how to what they wanted to do to the crushed fruit, how they, if they wanted to cold soak it, if they you know want to add sulfur, they wanted to bleed it. You know, they were in charge to get it to finish fermentation, and then it went to barrel, and we kept them all separate. And then just a few months ago, we blended them together. We t- did a whole set. You know, we sat down, we all tasted, and they talked about what they did to each wine. And um, then we're actually going to come up with a wine, blend them together to make a wine for the for the taste room. So oh, fun. it's really fun. But it's really important to me that they they get it. You know that they that they they have so much passion and just for them to you know kind of learn learn even more, take the education up a up a notch with them. Right. So it was really great. It was fun. Cool. So we started out with the uh, Juliana Juliana Ranch from Pope Valley. What's next? Um, next is in this yeah Pope Valley. Uh, next is the Rutherford. I did pour that for you, right? This is our Rutherford Merlot, which is on Me Lane. So if you know where Alpha Omega is, mm-hmm. uh, that that road, we're just back behind there. So up towards the Benchland, then, or towards? It's bench. It's it's bench. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so that would be the Rutherford Merlot. And then we also. Oh, interesting. It's it's kind of got that green bell pepper thing going on, but there's still good fruit. It's not like Chinon that screams bell pepper. Yeah. Okay. It showcases different characteristics that Merlot can have, right? Mm-hmm. And then the third, your third Merlot is um, from Oak Knoll, um, so just south of Yonville, and you know, kind of where Trefetha Winery is, just yep. north of there. That's where that's from. That's spicier. Mm-hmm. Has that seen wood? A lot of wood. That spice from the wood, or is it just it's the fruit? I, I think it's a fruit. The, the I mean, they, they all were in wood, so mm-hmm. yes, they were all in wood. But it was. Um, not not maybe when you're filled. So we're trying to keep it as neutral as we could just to bring so people, you know, can see the differences of what a vineyard what it truly means to have different Merlots from different vineyards. Okay. Okay. Okay, so what's and then next? the fourth the fourth sample oh, you yeah. have, yep. That's your blender. So that's your Cabernet. And that's a Rutherford Cabernet. And that's a combination of both our hillside and valley floor. So so you know to make for a wine to have Merlot on the label, it needs to be 75% Merlot. Um, so that's what we just ask is that then you come up with your own own blend, how you would make your Merlot for, to your taste, to your liking. Uh, or if you want to recreate a Rutherford Hill Merlot. But I always think it's better for, you know, it's cool to just kind of make what you would want, you know, or see... See, play with it a little bit to see the differences. Okay. Um, so it could be anywhere from 75% Merlot to 100% Merlot. Okay. Oh, a little uh, beaker here that uh, measures out up to 100 milliliters. So I'm going to be making a 100 milliliters of hopefully a not undrinkable blend of <laughs> okay, Merlot. Dude, what I look for when I'm, what I really like in Merlot, I, I like that lushness that kind of mm-hmm. reaches out and it's like a, 
like a velvet blanket, kind of, you know? Yeah, That's yeah. what I like in Merlot. These are, these are all 2013? 2012. You're 12. So you can see the vintage. Mm-hmm. It's, it's different. It's not quite as aggressive, but no. they're still, it's still young. There's still, still a bit of tannin. Yeah. They keep going back and tasting and tasting and trying to yeah, figure yeah, out, like, yeah. where is that math going to land? Yeah, at the winery, we do uh, an event usually each year with the open up to public and wine club to do a blender on Merlot. And they get very competitive because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're usually teams, and then they submit them to be judged, and a winner's winner's chosen. Quite fun. Okay, I think I have something interesting. Okay, we'll see what happens. Okay, the uh, Pope Valley Merlot. Okay, which I was really torn between what I wanted as the base. Did I want that to be predominant, or did I want the Rutherford to be predominant? Right. So I settled. I'm gonna go forty percent and forty percent. Okay. Let's go. go 40%. That's the I'm going to do up to 40 milliliters of the Pope Valley. And I'm pouring that in now. And what's your next one? The Rutherford. And I'm going to go 40 on the Rutherford as well. Again, hoping not to make undrinkable sludge out of your beautiful fruit. <laughs> okay, there's 40% or 40 milliliters. 100, 100 milliliters is a lot of wine now that I'm looking at it, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> a, uh, a, an honest pour. Um, sorry, I had to do it. Yeah. No <laughs> so Any now we're going to go with 10% of the oak milk. Okay. And I think this is going to soften it up just a little bit. To me, it felt like it didn't have quite the big backbone and structure and tannin of the other two. And then I'm going to go with 10 milliliters of the cab as well, just to give it that little bit, actually that little bit of uh, that kind of cassisi kind of fruit. Okay, so now I've made my blend of 40% uh, Pope Valley Merlot, 40% Rutherford Merlot, uh, 10% Oak Knoll Merlot, and 10% uh, Napa Valley Cabernet, just as a little backbone. Okay, I'm going to mix um, it for you. You're going to mix this is it for what, me? This is how, you're seeing, this is what I do when I make This wine. is actually how you do, you pour it from one exactly glass to the next? This is exactly what I do. Or we have beakers. This is how this ends up starting off something like this. Just a lot more samples than four. Okay. I'm afraid. There you go. No. So now I'm going to taste. There you go, taste. Let's see what I've done here. It might be just psychosomatic, but I am getting a little of that Rutherford dust. Okay, good. It smells a little dusty, but again, that might just be completely psychosomatic. I think it's. I think you're probably getting it. It's a little, a little leaner than I'd want it to be. Okay. I, I think I'd want a little more of that lushness. You so, tell me. So what would you change then? So this is this is exactly what you're describing is what goes on. You do a couple of them before you settle on your final. You always have to have a starting point. Yeah. You taste and tell me. What do you think? Uh, what do you think I've made? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be brutally honest. You can be nice. <laughs> I think it needs more body. Yeah, it's a little focused. Is the way I would kind of describe it. It's good though. I like it. It's got a. Um, it's really. It's, it's got a focus down the mid. It's got nice length. I'm trying to decide if. I think it's, it's good though. If balancing. Which, which way I want to go if because I, I think these I think the I think the um, the Pope Valley and the Rutherford are are, are the two most complex uh-huh. of, of the wines yep. so I want to raise raise the volume on one and maybe actually raise the amount of Cabernet it's nice though I like it so I'll give you another glass then you can have two so you can taste them because this is exactly what I do um, at the wineries we taste them side by side so I label them you'll label them and here's another glass so you can have your second blend. All right, so now I'm going to start again with the Pope Valley here. Okay. And we're going to go 60% this time. Next. And then next I'm going to go the Rutherford at 15%. There you go. Do you feel like a winemaker? Oh, I don't know about that. 
and then oak null 10. And are these all the these are the these the are bottlings the, that would go into your blend? Yeah, this is kind of the the, the largest lots that would go into our blend. Right, okay. So that was yeah, yeah, yeah. You play around with some other yeah, varietals yeah. or whatnot, but, but I, we're in the base neighborhood. Right, and we also um, purchased some other Merlot lots beside our own. So, um, but just for the sake of this. Um, Exercise. It's fun to kind of showcase different, you know, different apples. This is all the state fruit. All the state fruit. Yeah. All right, and then fifteen percent cabernet. Up the cabernet a little bit on that okay. one. So let me do a little mixing for you. So I'm going to give you back your first blend. Okay. So now you know, there's your first. So there's my first blend. We're going to taste that side by side with my second shot and see if I've. There you go. Done better or not? Now you could imagine. On the nose, I think it's a little more perfumey. Yes, I like it better. I think there's more structure to it. Okay, good. You tell me. I think it's still a little, as you said, uh, linear. You said linear, but I think it's it's I think it's closer to what I'm looking for. I think there's a little more perfume to it. Mm-hmm. That has more. That's good. It's not a horrible one, is it? No, that was great. You did exactly what you said you wanted to do. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Very excited about that. Well, this was a terrific experience, and this is something that people can do when they come to the winery. Yeah. Wow, that's great! And yeah. then you take it on the road and do uh, yeah, we 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 do yeah with different groups. We've done it with a few country clubs, and like I did last night, and it was great fun. They had a competition and came up with a team name, and and yeah, it was, it's a lot of fun. It gets people really into kind of the art of winemaking, you know, winemaking and blending. You had four samples. I usually I start out with ninety, so it's you 90. know <laughs> oh, so sure, different blocks from different, different vineyards. Different blocks. And... You sit down and then you kind of. You, you know, taste through, you grade them, you come back, and then you start working on what's going to go where. And But this is a good exercise to showcase, you know, what happens. On a real level, this happens, you know. So. And, and Merlot is a lot of fun. It's, it's drinkable. It's not this dumb, flabby thing that they kind of tried to turn it into in the in the 90s. Merlot is, it's, 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 it's approachable. It's juicy. It's got great texture. There's a little bit of tan into it. It gets a little earthy and green and... I think it's what wine ought to be, you know, and where we kind of moved away from, but we're getting back there. Marisa Taylor, general manager and head white maker of Rutherford Hill. Thanks very much. This was this was an absolute blast. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpourpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Poor with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Poor. This has been The Honest Poor with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod.